<clears throat> amen and amen. Hey, if you got your Bibles, I hope you do. First Timothy 6 is where we're gonna be in your journal. It's page 67 if you wanna go there. I know all of our campus pastors just honored all the veterans, but I wanna say happy, happy Veterans Day weekend. And to all of our veterans personally, from me, this dude, I wanna say thank you because you are willing to stand on that wall and stand in the gap. People like me get to share the gospel without fear of people coming to get us. Amen? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <clears throat> hey, it's a huge weekend. Biggest weekend we've ever had, biggest thing we've ever done. It is commitment weekend. And I just wanna warn you, I was, I've been kind of fighting the cold all week and then it hit today hard as it would. So I'm gonna put a couple cough drops up here. And a part of the reason I do this, one time I was preaching with a cough drop and somebody asked me if I was dipping. <laughs> and I said, who in the world would dip at church? So I'm not, it's just a cough drop. So if I hack my way through it, just pray about that for me, okay? <clears throat> hey, um, I, I'm reminded of the very first time I ever preached here in what used to be the Hobby Lobby. It was four years ago, maybe a little bit more than that, <clears throat> and uh, we were about to do the One Initiative, and, and this was just a leftover Hobby Lobby at that point, and it was in the One Initiative that we built this out and launched a bunch of campuses. And as I got ready to come over here and preach, one of the things we were doing in the One Initiative is we were rolling out our special needs ministry. And one of my guys, man, a dear friend of mine named, dear friend of mine named Henry, Henry's one of our VIPs in our, in our special needs ministry, and I saw him, and he serves here in a whole bunch of different capacities, and I walked up to him, and I said, Henry, will you pray for me? Because I was about to preach. And uh, he goes, what do I pray about? And I said, buddy, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little bit nervous. And so he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said this, dear God, don't let Joe be, me, be nervous. Then he said, and make him preach good, amen. <laughs> so the reason I tell you that is today is Commitment Sunday. So I wanna echo Henry's prayer to you, don't be nervous, I'm gonna try to preach good, and then at the end of it, we are gonna make our commitment and just see what God has in store for us. I want you to go to 1 Timothy, <clears throat> and the part of the reason I wanna go to this passage is because you need to know a little bit of the background. Paul is instructing young Timothy to, to lead a church, the church at Ephesus. And, and the crazy thing is, is that there's a relationship here that Paul has with Timothy that is beyond just like a preacher and a protege. It's like a father-son relationship. It's very deep. They pray together, they cry together, they do ministry together. And the way to best understand both First and Second Timothy is to understand, Second <clears throat> Timothy 1.7 says, Paul says, for God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. He lays his hands on young Timothy and he says this. Basically, I've, I've talked about this before, that, that, that our heart is like a game of musical chairs and at the end of it, there's only one throne and there will always be two things circling that throne of your heart and it's fear or faith and they both don't get to sit down. And even today, as we make commitments, those two things will circle the throne of our hearts and only one gets to sit down and God did not give you a spirit of fear, but he gave us a spirit of faith a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And the reason that he tells Timothy this is because Timothy has a lot of circumstances to be afraid of. 14 times in 2 Timothy, Paul's gonna give him physical things to be afraid of, that he might get locked up, jailed, beaten, bruised, etc. That Timothy grows up without a dad, that can mess you up. That Timothy's gonna be a real young guy pastoring a church in an exploding city. So he says, don't let people look down on you because of your youth, but set for them an example in love, life, speech, and purity. In fact, we know Timothy has like a nervous stomach. Maybe when he stands up in front of people to do what I'm doing, he gets like nervous. He has a bad stomach. And Paul is going to say, so take a little wine for your stomach. Did you hear that Baptist? I read one Southern Baptist commentary that says, that was meant for external use only. <laughs> oh, bless those sweet folk. Isn't that great? Don't you love them? I know some of you were them, welcome. Yeah, man. <clears throat> and then at the end of 1 Timothy, he's gonna talk about another thing that preachers often get scared to talk about. He's going to talk to Timothy about how to talk to people about money. And basically what he's gonna do at the end of 1 Timothy chapter six, he's gonna say, listen, Timothy, as a preacher, when you talk to people, you're gonna talk to two different types of people. You're gonna talk to people who are rich, and people who wanna be rich. Those are the two categories of people you're gonna to talk to. And with that in mind, 
As we prepare to make this 1010 Life commitment, I want you to see Paul's instructions to Timothy and God's instructions to us. First, first Timothy chapter six, beginning of verse two, he says this. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. In other words, Tim, you preach the Bible. You contend for the faith. You don't just say what they wanna hear and you don't just talk about what you wanna fight about. You preach the Bible. Then it goes on to say, he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. The Greek word for that is Twitter. I don't know if you knew that. That's what it is. (laughs) And constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. There are some people that can be so twisted in in the mind that they think that I can put God in my service to give me what I want. That's what he's saying. And this will be true of anybody that puts their self at the center of their own universe. And then he's saying, but Tim, I don't want you to be like that. I want you to be different. Verse six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. That's it. Think about this. Like imagine if you fully could experience that. But godliness, like me and God are cool, with contentment, all the world's okay, is great gain. Can you imagine what Paul calls in Philippians, knowing the secret of being content in every situation? This weekend, my son JP and I were going to a father-son retreat, and we're riding up there to the retreat center, and he goes, Daddy, it's been a good week, hasn't it? I go, oh, buddy, it was a good, he wasn't talking about father-son stuff. You know what he was talking about? Football, that's what he was talking about. Daddy, it's been a good week. That, that the team that I coach for, that he plays for, Providence, we won last Friday night. Praise God for that. He got an interception. That's cool. Then on Saturday, we beat the number one Tennessee volunteers, but they didn't volunteer to show up, so that was cool. And then last Sunday, even the Jags won. Come on, can I get a witness? I prophesied about it last week. Check it. Down 17 nothing. That didn't stop us, right? And then even the Bucks won too. I disciple a guy on the Bucks team, so we watched him. So we went four for four in our football teams. That is absolute contentment. Because it, it's one thing when you lose. You know, what's, you know what's I hate about losing when your football team, I don't have anything to do with it, but you know, when my teams I like lose, is that when you watch the highlights later, they bring it all up again, right? But when all of your teams win, no matter what highlights you're watching, you don't care because it's all gonna remind you that all is well. Now that's silly and that's very circumstantial, but just imagine if you could get to the place where you actually walked in Godliness with contentment, (sighs) great gain. That it would be well with your soul. That is a part of what it means to walk in the abundant life. And so Paul's gonna give a little perspective. He says, here's how you get there. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. It all stays here. I don't care how rich or poor you are, you all leave the same, 100% of it. But if we had food and clothing, with these we will be content. Can you imagine that level of contentment? You mean to tell me if I had a a taco and some pants, I'd be all good? Yeah. And you read that, and be like, that's impossible. Let me tell you, it ain't impossible. You ever been on a mission trip? Pastor Britt and I talk about this all the time, man. We got so much stuff around here, and you get on a plane, and you go to like, let's say, East Africa, and you roll into a village in Kenya, and here's a mama with a bunch of kids living in a house made out of mud, and the roof is thatched, and the floors are dirt, but she she sweeps them to the point they look like marble, and she has a joy that all of us with all the stuff are secretly jealous of. You know what she knows? She knows the, the reality of the power of the Word of God. She knows that if we have food and clothing with with these, we will be content. But, however, there's another group of people. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Let me ask you a very pointed question. Does anyone here desire to be rich? Okay, good, none of you. (laughs) Anybody struggle with lying? Oh, it's all of you who didn't raise your hand. You see, I desire to be rich. Actually, we don't desire to be rich. We desire to be rich-er. We're into er. We'll talk about that in a little while. But he's given us a, 
He's giving us a little warning here because I desire to be richer for sure. And he's like, but let me just warn you, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. If you have this desire for stuff and it begins to get too big in your life and it's not subject to the Lord of your life, if it becomes the Lord of your life, you will be tempted to lie and cheat and steal. You'll be tempted to be prideful. You'll be tempted to do other people wrong. You'll be tempted to be greedy. And maybe the worst one of all is you will be tempted to say, forget you, God, I don't need you. I have everything I need. And he, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Those who desire to be rich, pay attention because there's temptation. And you're tempted into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now here's, here's how arrogant we are. We read that and you'd be like, those dummies. Not me. Well, of course you don't think it's you. That's why it's a trick. It's a lure. It's a snare. If you've ever snared anything, I know most of you have it, but I do. I catch things that I wanna catch. And it's a trick. You're like, hey look, free corn. And then they're gone, you understand? This is what the enemy is trying to do. He is trying to trick us. I told you this a million times, but it's been a minute. When Gretchen and I, we first got married, we got these two dogs, man. We got these boxers. And it got to the point where we couldn't leave them in the house unsupervised. Actually, the reality is when we just had the male, no problem. Introduce the female, chaos, okay? It's very biblical. See Genesis 3. However, I kid, relax. <clears throat> so we went to Petco, we got a crate. And the people at Petco are liars. They're like, oh, they love the crate. All you have to do is say crate and their inner wolfness will come out and they'll feel like it's the den and they'll get in there and just snuggle and pray for you while, they're, while you're gone. They are liars because we would try to get them in the crate and try to push them in and it was, you couldn't do it, man. You say crate and they'd run and get under the bed. We ain't going to no crate. But you know what they did love? Cheese. So we just open the crate and go cheese and they were boxers so they had that drooly thing. I'd be like, you know, come down like that. And then you would throw the cheese in the crate. They would dive in thinking, how lucky are we? We got cheese. And we would close the door and they'd be like, oh, crap, the crate. <laughs> Every day, three or four times a day it worked. And we would think, what a dumb dog. And then we walk out and the enemy goes, cheese. And we're like, hey, I like cheese. It's just different kind of cheese. This is what he's saying. <clears throat> that if you're not careful, we can plunge into ruin and destruction. And you would say, oh, who would do that? Oh, man, any, child, any, any children of the 90s and you made it out? Remember MC Hammer? He released an album in 1990, and it, that one album in one day made $33 million. The, the hit on the song was Can't Touch This. Do you know what he did with $33 million? He spent about $35 million of it on a lavish lifestyle. And he went bankrupt. And here's what's crazy, on that same album, he had a song called Pray. You got to pray if you wanna make it today. Remember that? Well, guess what? If you make dumb decisions with your money, I don't care how much you pray, you're going bankrupt. Or how about this, remember Mike Tyson, right? From 1985 to 2005, Mike Tyson made about $500 million. From 1985 to 2005, he made $500 million during that same time period. Guess how much I made? You just laugh right at the game. You're right. I made $280,000 during that whole time. That averages out about $14,000 a year if you're doing the math, okay? And in 2013, the guy with 500 million declares bankruptcy. And in 2013, we were one year into planting this church and I had exponentially more than Mike Tyson had. It's crazy, isn't it? Now, don't tell him I said that because he might punch me in the face and bite my ear off, but that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> Do you know I met him one time? He was super cool, but anyway, I was scared. It was like petting a pit bull. You're like, this is awesome, and I could die any second. That's how I felt the whole time I met him. <clears throat> See, he's talking about people that, that plunge into ruin and destruction. Why does this happen? Why does this happen? Here's how easily we are to be tricked because you don't think it could happen to you. Ecclesiastes 5 says, he, lo he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. 
How many of you have ever met a family and they don't even do Thanksgiving together anymore and everything was fine until Nana died and they couldn't figure out the inheritance? See? How many ever knew some people, I mean, good church buddies, and they planted a business together, they started a business together, and when they had no money, no problems, but when money got involved, just like the 20th century philosopher Biggie used to say, more money, more problems, and now these people don't even go to church together anymore. How many of you have ever seen a marriage that was torn apart because they couldn't agree on this, on money? Be careful. It's a snare. It's a trap. And then a very famous verse that gets misquoted all the time. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. But the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Why? Because we were designed to love God, love people, and then use money as a tool to that end. But when our affections begin to shift and we begin to love money, then we will try to use God and people as a means to the end of loving our money. This is why the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some people wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You know what a craving is? A craving is like an appetite. And here's the thing about an appetite. It will never be fully and finally satisfied. Our appetites have a very short vocabulary. It's more and now. That's all they know. And when your heart begins to shift towards the temporary things of this world, then you will begin to go down this path that will lead to your destruction. And some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And you think, not me. Let me tell you how easy it is. Look, man, God blesses you, and you would be like, you know what, we're gonna get a boat. Now, let me just tell you, man, there's nothing wrong with a boat. Nothing, it could be a good gift of God. Does anyone have a boat? If you have a boat, raise your hand. Primarily a fishing boat. If you have a fishing boat, raise it high. Keep that hand up. Invite me to come to your boat. We'll do ministry on it. I'll pray over it. Jesus did lots of ministry on a boat. Ain't nothing wrong with a boat. But let me tell you what happens when you begin to fall in love with this boat, and it was cloudy on Saturday, and it, and it's sunny on Sunday, and you'd be like, well, you know what, I don't think I'm gonna go to church today. I think I'm gonna go get on the boat. And then before you know it, you're hanging out with church people, you're hanging out with boat people doing boat things, and you gotta, you're just chasing after this like boat life. And then everybody's like, anybody seen Ted? But like, no, he got a boat. <laughs> and he's wandered away from the faith and the faith family. And let me tell you this, when the wheels fall off of Ted's life, guess who ain't gonna help him? The boat people ain't. It's the church people that will gather around him to do for him what he needs to be done, man. He's just warning us. He says, be careful, be careful, be careful. Because every single one of us are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And then, remember, Paul's gonna preach here for a second. Remember, he's warning his son. And part of the reason I wanted to look at this passage together is because I do not consider what I get to do as your pastor, this ain't like a job for me, man. I don't clock out. This isn't just like a role I play. They're like Timothy had this spiritual son, I mean Paul had the spiritual son Timothy, me getting to love and care for and nurture this flock, I want this for you. I don't want anything from you, I want the abundant life for you. And so with a great passion, Paul is warning his spiritual son Timothy. Verse 11 he says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul gets all caught up in his own sermon, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion, amen. That's what he does. And here's how you know Paul's a preacher. He says amen, and he's got like 30 more minutes. Don't you love that? And you look at that and you think, hold on, is this out of place? Why is there a doxology right in the middle of a money talk? It's not out of place at all. 
Because when we get our eyes fixed on the temporary things of this world, we will always be let down. But when we get our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the creator of all things, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, then we can walk in that freedom that brings that godliness and contentment that we're looking for. That's what he's saying. So listen to me, church. In this 1010 life, I don't want you to respond in generosity to a sermon. I want you to live a life of generosity in response to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he is first, that he loves first, that he went first, and then what we do is respond to him by bringing him our first and our best. Verse 17, now he's gonna shift gears. So he's talked talk to the people who wanna be rich. He's like, hey, let me warn you. And again, that's all of us. And then in verse 17, he says, as for the rich in this present age. Now he's gonna talk to rich people. He said, when you talk to rich people, this is what you say. Here's the problem when the Bible talks about rich people. None of us think the Bible's talking about us. You're like, you get them, pastor. You tell those rich people. I know some rich people. They need to listen to this. Well, here's the thing. Do you realize that globally and historically speaking, if your annual combined household income is $35,000 a year, then you're in the top 1% of wealthiest people on the planet. Every year, I'm waiting for somebody to stand up and be like, amen, I told you, Martha, 35K, knocking it down, we rich. <clears throat> but I'm gonna tell you, man, I'm gonna tell you, it's hard being, rich people have rich people problems. Do you know this? Oh, you've been through it. There may be a person or two that's not, not there, but most people in the room, man, you're rich, and rich people have rich people problems. You know what rich people do? I don't know if you know this, mostly rich women. They walk into rooms full of clothes, bigger than most people's homes around the world. You know this? And they look at the, all of these clothes and rich women think this. They say this, I have nothing to wear. Did you know rich people's clothes had seasons? I don't know if you know that. I know about deer season and turkey season. Did you know pants have seasons? Only rich people's pants have seasons. Regular people, they, they just wear them anytime. Here's how you know you're rich. You have these kind of crazy conversations. Hey, we need to use this gift card before it expires. You ever, you think about that? Or here's what rich people will do. Rich people will go to a restaurant and look at a menu and say this, this menu's too big. Poor people don't do that. Rich people do this. This is confusing. I can point to any picture here and they'll just bring it to me. I don't wanna do this, okay? These are rich people problems. Rich people will open up the refrigerator and complain about what? There's no room to put our leftovers in here. What are we doing? You see, guess what? Guess what? You're rich. Yeah, rich. Here's one that you're gonna struggle with in the next 25 days, especially if you're married. Rich husbands are gonna say to their rich wives, you won't say this, but you'll feel it. Man, I gotta go buy you something for Christmas that you don't need, because you're gonna buy me something for Christmas that I don't need, and I don't wanna go out and do that. Isn't that crazy? It's hard being rich. Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for rich people to make it to heaven. So you might wanna pay attention to this next part. As for the rich in this present age. Now, you know what the hardest thing about being rich is? Do you know what you need for salvation? You need need. And when you're rich, you don't feel like you need anything. That's the biggest danger of it all. And so, he says, All right, Timothy, when you're talking to rich people, or all right, Joby, when you're talking to 1122, charge them. That doesn't mean like charge them. I know that's what rich people think. Command them. This is not a request. And he's gonna give two don'ts and four do's. So there's twice as many positives as there are warnings. And so as for the rich people in this present age, charge them, number one, not to be haughty. All right? That's not haughty. It's not like, oh my God, look. That's not that. Haughty means like arrogant. Haughty means entitled. Haughty means I deserve this. And what he's saying is, listen, everything you have is a blood-bought grace gift from God to you. So don't be entitled, be grateful. Because here's the thing, I've told you this all the time. Like if you're a teenager driving a sweet car, nobody thinks you're awesome, teenager. Everybody's like, cool, your mom lets you drive her Mercedes. That's cute, all right? Nah, man. And listen, dude, if you're haughty, if you think you're awesome, God will humble you. Years ago, uh, one of our elders had a Porsche Turbo, all right? 
And I didn't even know you're supposed to call it Porsche, right? So if you just call it Porsche, you're not supposed to call it that. I didn't know that, but Porsche people get mad, okay? And he told me, he was like, anytime you wanna drive this thing, anytime for whatever reason, you can come and pick it up and take it out anytime you want. And honestly, I rarely did it because I was terrified. I would get in this thing and it cost more than my first house and I was like, Err. but about one time a year, I would take Gretchen out for our anniversary and I would go get the Porsche Turbo. And I'm telling you, when I pulled out of his neighborhood, I felt like Tom Cruise. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I didn't just go home, I rode all over town. You know you can do over 100 on the Beach Boulevard Bridge, allegedly, okay? <clears throat> Every stoplight I'd pull up to, and I'd be like, come on, you want some of this? As if I had anything to do with it. In fact, one time we were going to this fancy restaurant, and when we pulled up, they did not have valet, and I left. She's like, where are you going? I was like, I ain't parking out there and just walking. I'm pulling up in here and getting out and handing somebody the keys to my one-day Porsche. That's what I'm doing, okay? <clears throat> and so in my arrogance, so we, was go we were going home. We used to live in the woods, and they have like the little gate thing, but we didn't have the sticker because I'd borrowed the car, so you had to like pull up next to the person. And so I pull up to get in my neighborhood and the guard gate's waiting and I'm looking for the window, how to roll down the window. Because in America, it's over here like normal people. Apparently in Germany, they want you to roll the window over here. I couldn't find how to roll down the window. I had to open the door and go, it's not my car. The lady went, you think? <laughs> All right, so <clears throat> don't think you're awesome. Don't be haughty. Number two, this is the second don't nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. It's not, he's gonna tell us in a, in a little while how to be rich in a godly way. But when we set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches, it's a problem, and the reason is because money, like every other idol, will always let you down. Your money lies to you and me, because here's what your money tells you. If you love me, I'll love you back. And the way we show love to one another is we provide and protect. And money cannot bring you the security or the satisfaction that you're looking for. Only the sovereign king of the universe that can provide you with that. And notice, 2,000 years ago, he says this, don't set, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Do I need to talk about our economy right now? I mean, it just goes in these waves. You, what you think you had, you don't have anymore. And he says, so if you put your hope there, <clears throat> that is a misplaced hope, and it will always let you down. So one is don't be haughty. Two is don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. And now we're gonna get four positives. Number three, but put your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to, what's that next word? Let's try that one. That was the most miserable time, the word enjoy. Enjoy. That's what's wrong with you people. One more time. On God, who richly provides us with everything to? Enjoy. He's a good dad, he's a good shepherd, he wants the abundant life for you. He is, man. That, that we're supposed to enjoy one another, enjoy life, and enjoy God, and everything that he has given you, he has given, you to it, given it to you so that you can enjoy. Money was given to us so that we could enjoy glorifying God primarily in three ways. One is we bring our first and our best to him sowing into kingdom advancement. Two is we have money so that we can bless one another and the world that we live in. And then three, we have been given money so that we can celebrate his grace. We're supposed to enjoy it. Let me tell you what you can't enjoy. If you can't afford it, you can't enjoy it. You can't, man, it's miserable. If you worship it, you can't enjoy it. Because eventually, if you worship it, whatever you idolize, when it lets you down, you will demonize it. And if it's not yours, you can't enjoy it. If you were taking what is God's and you were trying to use it for some more stuff for you, you will never be able to enjoy it. This is how C.S. Lewis says it. <clears throat> C.S. Lewis says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. 
You see, the truth is, is God has given us everything to enjoy. We bring our first and best to him, and then we bless some other people, and then we celebrate his grace. That's what we're supposed to do with all of it. Listen, I rail on the prosperity gospel all the time because it's heresy. Because the fundamental heresy of the prosperity gospel is, God, I go first, I'm preeminent, and then you owe me health, wealth, and happiness. But just as dangerous as the poverty gospel, as if God is not a good dad that don't wanna give good gifts to his kids. You see, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we should be enjoying life more than everybody else. I, I hope you know this. Listen, if you're not a believer here, I hope you'll become one today. And I've got good news. Did you realize, did you realize that because I'm a Christian, if you're not, my steaks taste better than your steaks? <laughs> That's a fact, man. You don't even know that. And you're like, how could that be? Here's how, here's how. Because when you eat a steak, at best you can appreciate the cow. And I know the one that came up with the idea of cow. But think about this, God in his infinite wisdom, he came up with the idea of cow and pig and put them together in what we call the bacon-wrapped filet, and you can eat that thing at medium rare just as God intended it. And listen, man, <clears throat> when Jesus pushed up on his nail-pierced feet and says, it is finished, it was primarily about paying our sin debt, but you know what was included in that? Bacon-wrapped filet. Old covenant, can't eat the pig, and you can't eat the blood. In the new covenant, you put those things together, and when you eat that steak, your, your worship does not terminate on the restaurant or the steak or the cow. Your worship rises up to the creator of the steak and the cow, and you begin to say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, amen? amen. So if you're not enjoying this life, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. Now listen, if you're taking God's money that you know he called you to sow into his kingdom to buy your steak with, stolen steak don't taste that good, I'm telling you. Listen, in the book of Deuteronomy, which is not exactly the feel-good hit of the century. Can we agree on that? <clears throat> in Deuteronomy, the first, like, 20, uh, the first like 20 chapters, no, the first like 12 chapters or so, are all about Moses talking to the people of here's how you put on a festival. Here's how you throw a party. They called them festivals back then. And it's all about the sacrifice you bring. It's all about the tithe you bring. It's all about giving of your first fruit offering to the one true God because you trust him. And as an act of worship, you bring to him what is him, his. And so after you have brought all that is his, then you get this commandment in Deuteronomy 14, 26. So after you've brought God what's his, he talks about how you glorify God with the rest of it. And he says, and spend the money for whatever you desire oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink. Sorry, Baptist, it just says what it says. Whatever your appetite craves and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. That God's people are supposed to enjoy the party better than anybody else. Listen to it in King James, man. I don't often use King James, but listen to it in King James. And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after. That sounds like a sin. And it's a commandment of God. Bring God his and then glorify God in the party. For oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink or for whatever, whatsoever thy soul desireth and thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God and thou shalt rejoice, thou and thine household. You see, Jesus changes everything, man. He changes everything. So what do you do? You bring God to what is God's. You, God loves a cheerful giver. And so we gladly bring to him what he's called us to bring to him. Like, we enjoy the bringing because when you know Jesus, what you enjoy begins to change. And then we decide that 100% of all that we have is his and we are going to leverage it in such a way so that thine and thy household enjoy every good and perfect gift. So the third thing is this, that you should enjoy. Number four is this. They are to do good, be rich in good works. What this means practically for us is go to the website and sign up for the 1010 Life. Be rich in good works. Volunteer for one of the areas of abundant life that we're making available to you. Number five, <clears throat> to be generous, <clears throat> to be generous and ready to share. Let me ask you this. Are you generous? Are you generous? Because here's what's crazy. Most people are rich, but they don't feel rich. 
And most people are not very generous, but they feel generous. That's a scary combo, is it not? You see, imagine it. Imagine it with your kids, okay? Let's say you gave one of your kids just a pile of goldfish, a pile of goldfish. And then one of your other kids comes up and says, can I get some goldfish? But get it from your brother. And so the brother with the goldfish, sister comes up, can I get some goldfish? And they're like, well, you know what? I, mean, I think, ooh. Is it just my kids? <laughs> I tell you what, how about this one right here? I ate half of it, fell out of my mouth, and the dog licked it, but you can have that one. If you saw that, what would you say to your child? Who do you think these goldfish are? Why would you not share them with your sister? Do you not understand that I can give you abundantly more than you ever hoped or imagined in goldfish? And if I can't trust you with this little bit of goldfish, you think I'm gonna give you more goldfish? Surely that's how you would parent. So let me ask you this, church. If you were God, would you give you more money? Because everybody thinks if I just had some more money, it'd solve all my problems. Really? Really? Because the Bible tends to say whatever you do with this little bit will be the same that you do with a lot. And if you're not trustworthy with a little bit, why in the world would God invest in you if you would not leverage your finances the way God tells us to? You see, he says, be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So what is life for you? Is life for you defined as an abundance of possessions or are you ready to chase after the abundant life that Christ has for us? Because I'm telling you, man, when you love Jesus, when you know Jesus, when you abide in Jesus, what we enjoy begins to change into the things that he enjoys. You don't just bring what you're gonna bring to him as like, like some kind of duty that you have to follow through on, but you begin to enjoy things differently. You begin to enjoy sowing into the kingdom and knowing that every time you see one of these videos of life change that we share, that you invested in that. When we plant churches all over the world, that you invested in that. But not only that, also in your personal life, you will begin to prioritize and enjoy the people at your house over the address that your house is at. You'll begin to prioritize and appreciate the ride that you're able to give someone in need over the ride that you're in because you're just trying to impress people with your cool car. You'll begin to enjoy the smile of a friend way more than them being impressed with your new set of clothes. You'll begin to enjoy the people that you serve and make memories with way more than the places you get to go. You'll begin to enjoy the laughter at the table way more than the fact that you can get a table at such and such restaurant. And when you begin to live that kind of upside down kingdom life, then you, walking in the footsteps of Jesus, learn the secret of being content in any and every situation. And so I'm gonna give you an opportunity to make a bold step of faith Last Friday night, over a thousand of our leaders gathered together right here and they said, we wanna go first. It was a thing we called Advanced Commitment Night and a whole bunch of them shared testimony about what God is doing in their life. I want you to take just a minute and be encouraged by their testimony. Check this out. tonight because we actually had a number that we wanted to give tonight but we realized we wanted to give that and we knew that we could and not what God could do so that just opened it up um, for us tonight to give a number that we know that God was telling us to and we're going to trust him. When I hear abundant life um, I think Jesus is talking about he's going to take care of us the same way he takes care of the birds and the air and the flowers of the field. So knowing that he has his best in mind for me, regardless of what situation I'm in. I didn't grow up in church, and I never knew Christ. When I started going to church in 2018 at the Arlington 1122 campus, every time I hear about money, I would kind of be bitter and think about, oh, they just want my money to pay for their bills. And just this whole 1010 journey has really changed my whole mindset about how we can trust God with our finances. Trusting God with it is really a true freedom. 
We made a commitment to the Tintin life because I was a foster baby 18 years ago, and um, we're really excited that we, as a church, we have a commitment to do this. Uh, I made a commitment tonight because this is the first time I've ever made one. I've been a Christian since I was eight years old, and I've kind of tied, not regularly, not completely throughout my Christian life. I needed to have the abundant life that God's trying to give me. I decided to make a commitment tonight because I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to move in the way that uh, God was directing me to as far as my finances. I hope and pray that the kingdom has just increased in every way possible through the Spirit of God. I'm just grateful to be a part of everything that he's doing. We're not young anymore. <laughs> and I've always worked with senior adults, so I'm looking to become involved in that. The Lord's not finished with us yet. We still have some work to do, and I want to be in it. I think I decided to make the commitment that I made tonight um, just because I feel really challenged to believe that it really is true when God says that he will do more than we ever imagined. Um, and so just believing that and going forward in faith. I made a commitment to the 1010 life um, because um, I've been looking for something for seven years now after coming off the mission field. And uh, I wanted a place where I could serve and use the gifts that God gave me. And this just spoke to my soul. Oh man, I'm so excited about the prison ministry. I've been trying to get into prison ministry for a couple of years. Seeing people who need to be seen and who need the gospel just as much as anybody else and giving them hope in what a lot of people would say is a hopeless place. Um, really excited for that. For me, the reason I made the commitment to the 1010 Life is I think of the wonderful things that I could do for God or for other people, but it always seems too big. I can't do it. And I, now I realize it's possible. And it's not just giving money. I realize it's giving of our time too. I used to believe it was about money. And now I believe it's about him. He's always there. And surrendering my life to him was a chance for me to really realize that. And, and that's what living an abundant life means to me. Amen. I love the testimonies of our folks. Now it's your turn. If you would grab the card that looks like this, it was on your seat back or on your seat, depending. Grab that thing, open it up. This is our opportunity to make a commitment to the Lord with our first and our best, with our finances. And again, we have a secondary goal, a financial secondary goal here at 1122, but our primary goal is that 100% of people that call 1122 home would make their commitment to the Lord. You'd be committed to the 1010 life. And if you're worshiping with us online, there'll be instructions there on how you make your commitment online. And so I need everybody to grab one and open it up. And uh, I just wanna walk through it real quick. Uh, for one, there's a bunch of boxes and things over here that are filled out. And one of the things that will be revealed in you is the kind of personality that you have. I'm the kind of guy that just writes the main number down in the middle, and Gretchen's like, you gotta fill in all the boxes, okay? So if you're a rule bender or a rule breaker, that's gonna come out in you right now. I just wanna let you know that the, that the main number is this box kind of in the middle that says, my slash our two-year 1010 co commitment is, and then you would just write your number there. We also need your name and address and all of that so that we can support you as you make steps of faithfulness and obedience towards what the Good Shepherd is calling you to do. But if you need the boxes to help you out, this is how it works. That top one says this, what I slash we normally give in a year. So that would be like your normal annual giving. And if you don't know what that is, you should probably know where all of your money's going for sure. And for many of you, here's what I know is gonna happen. For many of you, this will be the very first time, just like you heard in the video, where you are trusting God with your finances through this local church. And to you, I would say, well done, congratulations. The Lord is stoked over you. And the reason that God is stoked over you is not because you're giving for the first time. The reason that he delights over you is because of this, that 
This is love, not that we love him, but he loved us and sent his son as the propitiation for our sin. And God's general disposition towards his children is he delights over his children. So whether you've been tithing for 100 years or this will be your very first time, well done. So you're gonna write that number down, and then if it helps, then you write what your expanded giving towards this initiative will be over this next year. Then you multiply it times two because it's a two-year generosity initiative. It'll start in December and it goes for two years. And then one of the reasons we do this is, this is not over and above, I don't want you to think this way. We do what's called a one fund approach. This means whether you're brand new to this or you are radically generous, no matter, no matter where you are on that spectrum, all of us are in this together. That our goal is 100% of our folks would be rich towards God, no matter where you are on that spectrum spectrum. And while this, the numbers on this, we have a secondary goal, what God calls you to do in your steps of obedience in regards to this card will play a primary role in your own discipleship over the next two years on what it means for you and your family to walk in that abundant life that Christ has for us. And then there's a box there for you to bring any stored resources that you may have. That maybe God is calling you not to just trust him with what's going to come in going forward, but to look back over your past and his faithfulness towards you, and you've got some barns with some stuff in it or some, some accounts with some money in it, and you think, you know what? God is leading me to transfer that from my account to his account for his glory and the advancement of the good news of the gospel. And then you will just write down that total number for the next two years. And so listen, <clears throat> Here's what I know, man. Gretchen and I are with you in this. We've been praying and praying and fasting and seeking God as to what God is calling us. And it gets real, man. The number that we feel like God is calling us to bring is exceedingly more than we ever thought we would be able to do. And we're not even totally sure how it's gonna happen, but we're gonna trust him. And then here's, here's where it just the rubber meets the road, man. Before this thing is over, we'll be sending one to college. And uh, we need to pay for that too. And so we're just trusting God that he will come through. And in fact, speaking of college, we were meeting with one of those like college advisor types and they instructed us when you're figuring out what college you need to go, want to go to, you should, um, based on your scores, you should have like a reach school because you never know. They might mess up the paperwork and they let you in. You just never know. And then there's like a safe school so to make sure you get to move out of the house. And so praise God for that. You understand what I'm saying? And here's what I think. I think some of you came in with that kind of mentality. Like the moment that we began to talk about this, you immediately went to, oh, I know a safe number. I just wanna remind you, man, on the throne of your heart, there will be two things circling that in this life of musical chairs, and that's, that's faith and fear. And we wanna ask God that he would not give us a spirit of fear, because that's not what he gives, but he would give us that spirit of faith to say, God, I trust you. Because there's really two ways to figure out what is faithful for you to bring before the Lord. One is like reason and rationality. You just do the math, you cut out a couple things, you add a couple things, you get a sharp pencil in your budget, and, and by reason, you come up with another, a number. The other way, this is what Gretchen and I have done, is revelation. You see, because the whole point of the 1010 life is that he's the good shepherd. He speaks to his sheep. His sheep know his voice. They recognize his voice. They follow his voice. And whenever we take steps of obedience to follow the voice of the good shepherd, it always only leads to life abundantly. That's what we're talking about here. So that's what I want you to do. I'm gonna give you a little while to pray over this and hear the voice of God and do whatever it is that he tells you to do. As you saw before I started preaching, that our kids and our students go first. And years ago, when we were doing the One Initiative, JP came home from students, he was 12 years old, and he came home with his commitment card. And on a salary of zero dollars a year, he had written down as his commitment hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars by faith, because he didn't have no money. And I was like, buddy, so glad you're listening to the voice of the shepherd, you know, way to go, but, and his mom was like, how are you gonna pay for this? And he didn't say anything spiritual, he's 12, but he said, well, if I can't, I figure my dad can cover me. <laughs> so we did, we added his number to our number. But, <clears throat> you know, aren't we doing the same thing? Aren't we doing the same thing? 
That if we will just by faith do what he tells us to do and say, God, this is my first and this is my best, and I'm not even sure how this is going to be possible, but I am believing that my Father can cover me. And listen, I don't know how to rightly explain this, okay? But there's something that happens when we make a faith commitment, a faith step, when we do what our good shepherd tells us to do, that just changes things. You see, when in the book of Matthew, when Jesus tells Peter that he is the rock, and upon this rock, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was gonna build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Right after that, he says, I'm gonna give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus tells Peter this, there's gonna be some stuff on earth that you bind and it will be bound in heaven. There's gonna be some stuff on earth that you loose and it will be loosed in heaven. And now you can't like buy baptisms, but let me tell you what happened in our own generosity story. Four years ago in the One Initiative, as Gretchen and I are praying about what God was leading us to give, we wrote down a number that we never believed we would ever be able to do, and by God's faithfulness, we were able to do it and be able to expand it now. But at Advanced Commitment Night four years ago, something I had been praying for for 28 years was the salvation of my dad. And, at, and listen, man, I'm talking about You realize in my ministry, I have led over 10,000 people to Christ, but I couldn't lead the one dude that I prayed for more than anybody else. It bothered me, made me cry, I mean, messed with me. Whenever he would come to town, about 30 minutes into the sermon, I would just punt on where I was going, and I would do a gospel invitation to one person, my dad, and if the rest of you heard it, good for you, okay? I sent him emails, I had conversations with him, all this kind of stuff. But on that night, as we wrote down that number, I said, here's what I'm believing before the One Initiative is over, is that, is that I am praying for the salvation of my dad, and I dunk that card into the tub. Sure enough, the summer before we finished that initiative, I'm sitting in a hotel room working on a sermon on prayer, and Jesus says, what father among you, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? And I wrote down in my notes, I have a good dad, even though he didn't know the Lord at that point. And the Spirit of God told me, I don't say that lightly, he told me, text him. And I know it must be the Spirit of God because I don't text nobody, especially something serious or sensitive. That's why I don't return text, all right? I don't like it. And God said, no, just text him. And so I was like, hey, Daddy, I know know you grew up in church and haven't been in a while, but I've never just come straight out and asked you, have you ever surrendered your life to Christ? And if not, are you ready to do that right now? And I put my phone down. And I waited, it was about two minutes, felt like 25. That thing went zip, zip, and I flipped it over, and it just said, I'm ready, I'm ready. And after 30 years of praying for my dad, something was loosed in the heavenlies that opened up my dad's heart, and he put his faith in Jesus Christ. As you are filling this out, I need you to be praying the big, bold, audacious, God, I need you to move in a way only you can move kind of prayers. Because do you realize what you're holding in your hand here? Think about what we're doing with the 1010 Life. God is going to use our commitments, though they might not seem like much. It's like a little boy with some bread and some, lo- some, bread and some fish, and we bring it to God, and we go, like, Jesus is more important in your hands than mine. You realize some things are gonna happen? Some mamas are going to embrace life and there are gonna be babies that get born that would not have gotten born without your step of obedience. There are gonna be foster kids that get raised up in a Christian home and they're gonna meet Jesus and be reunited with their birth parents and they're both gonna meet Jesus and their great-grandchildren's legacy will be changed because God's gonna use your faithfulness. That our, our, our special needs community is going to be loved on in such a way that the whole world's gonna scratch their head and go, what's going on there? And what's gonna be going on there is the shepherd is bringing abundant life. Listen, there are women right now, this very second, caught up in human trafficking, and they are begging God, God, would you please help me and save me? And God is gonna use your step of obedience to kick down the door and rescue that girl in the name of Jesus. That's gonna be it, that's gonna happen. There are going to be first responders that do not walk down the statistical path of divorce and depression and even suicide, but because they're gonna cry out for help and God's gonna hear their prayer and he's gonna send you on a rescue mission for these first responders and say, we got your back because God's got your back. There's gonna be senior adults that don't just that don't just waste the best years of their life on the nothingness that this world offers, but gonna be engaged in the great commission in ways that this world has yet to see. 
And all of that comes down to this, just one step of faith. So here's what I want you to do, 100% involvement. That you would grab this card, you would pray, God, what are you, what are you calling us to bring? What does first and best look like for me or for us? And then you would write down that number. And then in just a little while, I'll come back and give you some instructions. I'm gonna give you like three or four minutes. Now again, man, if you're a praying person, it's gonna go by like this. If you are not a praying person, it's gonna be the longest three and a half minutes, four minutes of your whole life. But you just sit in that. You say, God, what are you asking me to do? And my encouragement to you is the same thing Mary encouraged the servants in John 2. I just want you to do whatever he tells you to do because you have no idea the miracle that could be hanging on the other side of a step of obedience. So you got about three or four minutes. Pray, listen, write. I'll be back. All right, church, the time has come for us to make our commitments, and if I can be completely honest with you, you know, this is like the fourth time I've done this. Fifth, how many? Advanced commitment night, second one? Yeah, this is the fifth time I've done this, right? And we've prayed, and we've prayed, and we've prayed, and I went and sat down, and I preached so good, Gretchen just said, I think we should do more. So you know what we gotta do? We gotta do whatever the Spirit of God tells us to do, amen? Amen? Because it's not the size of your faith, it's the object of your faith that matters. Jesus said, if you just got a tiny little itsy bitsy bit of faith and you put it in the everlasting, almighty, all-powerful God, it is exponentially and infinitely greater than putting all of your faith in the temporary things of this world. So that's, about what, that's what we're about to do. We're gonna trust God that he's gonna use us to change the world, to for sure change the world to some people that we get to minister to, starting with us. Would you please stand to your feet if you're ready to go, stand to your feet. I just want you to hold this card up and we're gonna dedicate it. We're gonna consecrate it unto the Lord by faith. And so would you hold that card up and would you join me in prayer? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we love you more than anything because you first loved us. And God, just like that kid with the little lunch, a couple fish and some bread, put it in your hands and you 
thanked God for it. You broke the bread, you handed it out, and in the hands of the disciples, miracles happened. And so God, we pray as we bring this to you and lay it at your feet, God, we pray that lives would be changed, that life would be embraced, that from womb to tomb, every image bearer of you would walk in that abundant life that the Good Shepherd came to give us. God, it is by faith and not fear that we come in your name to proclaim. And we ask that you would stretch out your hand, that you would do signs and wonders all for the glory of the one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And God, in so doing, may we walk in the abundant life you purchased for us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So church, there are baptismal tubs down here. There are baptismal tubs in the middle. If you would just look around and go to the closest one towards you, as we sing, as we worship, why don't you let this be an act of worship? Come, make your commitment, and then pray, and then you can return to your seat. Let's go.